Welcome to another episode of Locked in Science. Yes, it is what used to be Lost in Science that is still locked in because we are recording this based in Melbourne primarily and stage four lockdown continues. So it is me, Chris, in my home talking to Claire and Stu. And Stu, have you got some good science for us this week? Well, I have got some good science and it is COVID-related but I just thought I would have a look at the science of how the testing is done for uh, to detect COVID because some people are a bit confused about how that testing works and I thought it would be a good idea to just go through how does the actual science work of testing to see whether people have got the SARS-CoV-2 virus and also another way of testing them to see if they have antibodies to that virus and they're slightly different tests but... There's a, there's a fair bit of good science going on in there to actually tell us who is actually ill and and whether they've been ill in the past as well. Okay, so you'll be telling us what a PCR is, is that correct? That is exactly correct. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm sure people have heard that and going, oh yes, I've got a PCR. Yeah, not but, not a not a PDO cassette player. A p- <laughs> oh god. That is a retro joke. Yes. Very niche, very niche. Very niche. (laughs) That joke needs to be beta tested, but um, I can't come with that. Anyway, sounds fantastic. Claire, how about you? Well, Chris, I have an interview this week with some incredible researchers who... um, Okay, let me ask you this question. How much do you love dogs? A, a lot, I would say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they're man, woman's best friend, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what if I told you dogs can sniff out coronavirus? I I, I mean, dogs are amazing, but yeah. I mean, that sounds like a stretch. I know, it does, doesn't it? But it's true and research, there's currently re- a research collaboration happening all over the world, an international collaboration that is proving that that is the case. We can train uh, dogs to detect and sniff out traces of um, the novel coronavirus. So I'm going to be speaking to Dr. Annalise Chabert and Dr. Susan Hazel from the University of Adelaide who are involved in that research project who are going to answer all of my questions about how they do it why they can do it, um, and when we're going to be seeing um, these incredible dogs in our airports, um, in our workplaces, and we can give these um, good dogs a big pat for, um, uh, you know, helping us through this pandemic. Maybe I'm getting a bit ahead of myself already, um, but, yeah, it's an incredible story and I'm already uh, fangirling over this research because I think we all probably need a bit of a positive coronavirus story right now. And this one involves dogs as well, so yeah. I'm just like. I mean, oh. it kind of ruins, kind of ruins Stu's story. He's talking about all these other PCR <laughs> and body tests, and you just come in with some dogs. I mean, of course, we're going to love the dogs better. Yeah, and you know what? They're Labradors, so. Um, yeah, I'm oh, sorry, just... Stu. Your tests aren't anywhere near as good. <laughs> your, your lab, your labs are much cuter than my labs. Yes, exactly. Labs, labs in labs. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope they um, I hope they retrieve some good results for us as well. <laughs> so they're 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 um, poochy COVID retrievers. Is that PCR? <laughs> Quite possibly. 
Um, all right. Well, before this gets any further off, off the rails and we end up barking at the wrong tree, um, <laughs> on with the show. One of the uh, reactions to the COVID-19 pandemic by governments around the world has been to try and track the spread of the disease by testing people to see if they have it. And there's a couple of different ways to check to see if people have the SARS-CoV-2 virus or to check if they have been recently infected with that virus and they've recovered. Um, And there's slightly different testing methods, but the most commonly used one, which is probably the one that everyone will get done if they go and get a test, uh, is to collect a sample or a swab from the back of the throat or the back of the nose of the person being tested, which should pick up some cells from that person. Now, it's not the cells that they're actually looking at. It's They're looking to find uh, active or inactive virus particles on and around those human cells that they collect. So that's really what they're looking for. And we've probably talked about this before, that the um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is an RNA-based virus. So the genes of this virus are carried in ribonucleic acid, which is what RNA is. Um, and the specific order of the base pairs in that RNA can uh, allow scientists to distinguish between different viruses and different organisms. This is called genetic sequencing. Okay, two questions, just briefly. What is the difference between RNA and DNA, and what are the base pairs? So, okay, so in DNA, DNA is in the nucleus of um, eukaryotic cells, which are cells of plants and animals and fungi all have these, have a nucleus in the cells. Mm -hmm. In that nucleus is the DNA of that organism. So the cell nucleus of a fungus or the cell nucleus of a human contains all of the genetic information to build a human or to build a fungus, whichever the organism is. RNA in these higher organisms is actually just um, a messenger. It's a copy of this DNA, and it gives specific instructions to build certain proteins, and that's what a gene is. It builds a protein. So it kind of makes sense then, I guess, that a virus might use RNA to transfer its genetics to uh, a human cell. Well, that's right. And the RNA in the virus basically tricks the human cell into to building more viruses. That's okay. how they replicate. So the the base pairs is just the building blocks of the, of the RNA. Oh, okay. So whatever order they're in, that's what protein they are programmed to build. Gotcha. Um, and that means, so each different virus has got a different order, and you can tell different viruses apart by looking at that order and sequencing it. So in order to look at RNA, um, the amount of RNA can be very, very tiny. So they use a process called polymerase chain reaction, which is abbreviated to PCR, to multiply the RNA that they find. So they basically target this RNA, make lots more copies of it so it's easier to detect, and then they can test for it. In order to only get the RNA of the virus they're looking for, they use a thing called a primer, which binds to a specific section of that RNA. So that's what it makes copies of. And then if that 
if that RNA isn't there that the primer is targeting, it won't do anything. So you won't get a result. It's only if the right virus is there for the right primer that you actually get. Oh, so the primer has to be tuned to that specific virus. Is yeah, that right? you, you build a primer for each thing that you might be looking for. So if you've got a bacteria, you could do it for a bacteria or you've got a different kind of virus, you would have a different primer. So you, you really need to know the DNA or RNA makeup of the virus or organism that you, that you want to target before you can really build a primer, right? Yeah, that's right. And that's why early on in the coronavirus pandemic, labs around the world were trying to sequence the, the virus. And once they had sequenced it, they could share that sequence with all of the other labs. And then they started working out how to make primers and then they could start testing for it. So it's a quite a complicated process to even get to this point, really. Um, now, um, the test is actually very sensitive. It can pick up viral RNA, even from inactive or recently dead virus particles. So the test may return a positive result, even if there's no active virus in that person's um, body, basically. Um, this is probably a more useful way to have the test um, than it being less sensitive because it's still worth tracking who's been exposed to the virus, even if they're not still ill with the virus. That's also the reason why uh, sewage testing works. If you remember from my couple of stories about the sewage testing, um, you can use that same process to test um, you know, raw effluent that goes yeah. down into the sewage system. And even though that virus isn't active, um, it'll still show up uh, who could potentially be out in the community, either asymptomatic or symptomatic with COVID-19. Yeah, and you get an idea of what parts of the city or wherever you're testing actually still have it. Um, in some cases, the test might not pick up enough of the viral RNA to give a conclusive result, which is why people are still advised to self-isolate. If you go and get a test, you've probably got some symptoms which has made you go and get the test. Even if you've got a negative result, they do say you should stay isolated until your symptoms clear up, which means whatever it is that you might have, you're not going to be spreading it around to other people. Um, now, another um, testing method is based on serology or blood tests. And this kind of test is not looking for the virus itself, but it looks for the antibodies that people produce to fight off the virus. So if you, serology tests are a, a lot less common. You actually need to get a referral in most places from a doctor who will refer you to get a blood test. And what they're really looking for here is evidence that someone's had the uh, COVID-19 illness and they've actually recovered from it. So it's testing for quite a different thing. So the antibodies, they're things produced by your immune system to help it fight the virus, aren't yes, they? Yes, So when you correct. find antibodies in someone's blood, that's an indication that they have had the infection, their immune system has attacked it, and they still have these antibodies floating around ready for another virus to come along. Yep, and, and potentially gives them immunity to that virus or, or at least improves their chances of fighting it off if they do get reinfected. Um, now, um, the if, if you do want to find out where to get testing done, check your state health department website for details. It varies, obviously, depending on what part of the country you're in, how far away you would have to travel to get this done. Obviously, some places there's a lot more testing going on than others. Um, but the 
The PCR testing is the quickest way to track the spread of the disease in the population, but the serology testing would be more useful in assessing the immunity of the population of recovering people. So they're, they're measuring quite different things um, in different ways, which is why they're not really comparable testing systems. Um, <clears throat> now, one of the most helpful things anyone can do if they do feel like they have flu-like symptoms is to find a nearby testing location and get tested and also to get in touch and stay in touch with healthcare professionals throughout the process because it's not necessarily always easy to understand what what medical test results mean. Um, and by no means are these tests 100% accurate. There are, you know, there are ways that we can get false positive results and false negative results, but that's another reason why you should stay in touch with your healthcare professionals. Um, but this is still the best tools we have to identify cases, and hopefully we can stop the spread in the community. So um, Kaylee is currently enrolled in a, um, a research project to text, test her for antibodies. Did I mention this last week? Yeah. Don't uh, think so, yeah. No, oh, you, no, I don't think you did. Maybe, maybe just briefly, but you didn't give any detail, I don't think. Yeah, so it's, um, researchers from the University of Melbourne um, took a blood sample uh, last week, and they do, they're going to do it a couple of times in the first year and then follow up for five years. And uh, we're talking about getting me enrolled as well so they can check my uh, antibody. Great. How they changed over time too. Yeah, be That's good to good. know. Yeah. yeah, it'd be great to know. Especially like, being able, I mean, for your own interests, being able to compare your antibodies and Kaylee's, yeah. considering Kaylee's infection had worse outcomes on her health. Well, I reckon, yeah, people who have had a a worse, yeah, have worse symptoms often have a stronger immune response as well. I mean, sometimes you yeah. have, it can be caused by too strong an immune response. But, um, yeah, right, so yeah. So they have more antibodies than people who had... Mm. Weaker symptoms, I suppose. Mm. Or, or no symptoms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, yeah, they're doing that. They're also comparing pregnant people to non-pregnant people. Mm. And they are going to try and get some of the cord blood as well to see whether the babies oh, have wow. any antibodies too. Oh, cool. Whether wow. immunity can be passed to the, yeah. to the babies. Oh, my God, yes. So oh it's a fascinating thing. God. It's so fascinating. Science. The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of Lost in Science, our ongoing mission to explain strange new words, to seek out new science and new explanations, to boldly go where no radio has gone before. agree that dogs are the best but could our four-legged friends really help us control the coronavirus pandemic well this is exactly the question that an international research team are asking led by france's national veterinary school in alfort the team which includes researchers from the university of adelaide have been training detector dogs to sniff out the novel coronavirus 
to talk us through this research and answer all our questions about how canines can become COVID busters, I have with me project leader, Dr. Annelise Chabert, and infectious disease detection expert, Dr. Susan Hazel, both from the University of Adelaide. Annelise and Susan, welcome to Lost in Science. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Now, tell me, is it true? Can dogs sniff out coronavirus? Yes, it is true that they can help us to screen people that are infected with coronavirus. They don't sniff the coronavirus itself, but they sniff something from the sweat of people that are infected with coronavirus. So what is in the sweat of people who have coronavirus that the dogs are smelling that isn't in other, other people? Well, that's a very good question. And the true answer is that we don't know yet what they are smelling. We know that there is a specific volatile olfactory compound, or maybe it's a mix of these VOCs that the dog can actually detect. We don't know which one it is, but that's also part of the study that we are carrying out. And tell me, how good are dogs at sniffing the sweat of people who are infected with coronavirus? Well, the preliminary results are astonishing. It seems that they are 100% sensitive, meaning that when someone is infected, the dog will pick him up. But they are not 100% specific, meaning sometimes they got it wrong, meaning that sometimes someone that is negative, the dog will say, oh, maybe actually you are positive. Right. Which is for any screening method is a good result because we don't want them to miss any positive case. That would be really a problem to actually control the disease. That's the difference between a false positive and a false negative. Exactly. They don't have false negative so far, which is very good news. That's very good news. Can you talk me through how trained dogs to do this? So the early work was done with dogs that were already experienced at detector dog work. So they knew how to go along a line of sense. So what was done was that positive samples, positive sweat samples were obtained. The dogs were imprinted on those samples. And once they were imprinted, then the positive sample could be put along a line with lots of negative samples. And then the dog had to signal to the handler which one they thought was positive. And if dogs are already trained, they can pick that up very quickly. So I think two weeks, Annalise, some of them have, have been fully trained by. After a day training, if they've been already trained for other scents, they're actually able to recognize what we are asking them to recognize. And they can be trained after two weeks, exactly as said uh, Suzanne. And they can be fully operational after six weeks, meaning that they actually can be deployed after six weeks. If they are green dogs, meaning that they've never been trained for anything, it takes a bit longer and it's from three to six months, depending on the dog's abilities. So to be really clear, we're not teaching the dogs to smell the sweat from COVID-19 people. They, they smell that all of the time. All of the training is around putting in the signal so that dogs communicate to us which ones are positive and the scenario that we want them to work in. Are there other examples of dogs being able to sniff out viruses? So it's not specific to viruses, um, but we've got other examples where dogs have been used to detect uh, disease. So it's known for certain type of cancer. It's also known for uh, Parkinson's disease. It's known for some infectious disease, but um, diseases such as tuberculosis, but they don't use dogs for tuberculosis. They actually use rats 
Um, but so we know that animals are uh, able to detect uh, VOCs um, that are specific to some diseases. It doesn't work for all the diseases. So it's very good news that it is actually working for COVID-19. That's very good news. And I have to ask, is there any health risk for the dogs? Um, the short answer is no. The virus that is uh, responsible of COVID-19 is called SARS-CoV-2. And the dog doesn't have the right receptors in their cell to replicate SARS-CoV-2. So, so as far as uh, uh, we know, no, they are not going to be a source of disease. And there are a few studies that have been done in the lab where they actually uh, injected the virus to dogs and they didn't replicate this virus. The setup for the testing as well. So even though there is minimal risk, the sweat shouldn't contain virus. But the setup for the testing, the dog's nose will never touch the sample. So that's both to protect against infection, but also if the dog's nose was touching the sample, the next dog to smell that sample would smell the sample plus the dog's nose that was there before. So it would confound things. It's very important what uh, Suzanne said. The, the sweat sample is not considered to be infectious. So we're actually not working with infectious material. Uh, now, this is part of an international research project, as I said in the introduction. Um, who else is involved and what different parts does everyone around the world play? Um, so the, the, in, well, the project has been led by the French team, uh, Dr. Dominique Grandjean, who is working in Paris. So they were the first one to actually validate uh, the proof of concept and show that the dog were able to detect sign of COVID-19 in, uh, in infected patients. And then they started to collaborate with other teams in Belgium, in the United Arab Emirates, uh, with us in Australia at the University of Adelaide, in Chile and in Lebanon. So now we are actually a big group. It's like a community. We are sharing all our results and we are really working hands in hands. That sounds like an incredible collaboration. I'm fascinated by what the dogs are actually doing and how I guess they're responding um, to the sweat samples. So can you take us through, I guess, what the experiment has looked like? So the, the dogs in the testing, there would be a, a lineup uh, and there's a stainless steel cone that the dogs put their nose into. And when they detect the positive sample, it depends. So the training that's done with detector dogs can vary a little bit, but mostly the dogs are sitting when they have the right scent. And then German Shepherds and Labradors are the most common breeds that are used. But again, the training methods vary, but they're all positive reinforcement based training. So when they get the, they signal the, the positive sample, they will get either a toy to play with or they will get food and they go, this is so much fun, I want to keep going. So the dogs are motivated. They're not doing it because they have to do it. They're doing it because they, they do love this work. Um, that is excellent. That is um, just painted a, a wonderful picture of dogs being very happy doing this work and also helping us so much in my mind. Are they both German Shepherds and Labradors that are involved in this particular research study? Yes, we are having a variety of dogs and most of them are going to be German Shepherd and Labrador. We're going to try to use mainly Labradors because Labradors are well accepted by the communities and we want those dogs to be deployed next to people. So we would prefer to actually have dogs that people are not scared of. Now I'm curious, now you've got these positive first results, what's going to be the next step for the research? 
So the next step for us in Australia is that now we actually need to get dogs trained and we hope to actually get quite a lot of dogs trained. It's just because we want to uh, give a very accurate result on the specificity and the sensitivity, the two uh, test characteristics I mentioned before, uh, of this new screening tool. So we are uh, collaborating with everyone to actually get those data and be able to um, give that to uh, governmental entities. So for us, really, the next step is actually going to train the dogs at the University of Adelaide and give those results to our government. And will we expect to see these dogs at airports or um, in workplaces anytime over the next couple of years? What's your, um, what's your best vision, your greatest vision for, for where, where these detected dogs will end up? Yeah, totally. That's, that's the aim. It's actually, I hope that you will see them in the next couple of years, but more the next couple of months. And yes, we see that they could be used in airports and could be used to screen staff working in the hospital, work, um, screening staff that is uh, working in aged care home, um, any places that's actually where you've got a lot of people going on a daily basis uh, that are going to be potentially in contact with um, COVID-19 uh, patients. Now, do the dogs sniff out asymptomatic carriers of the coronavirus as well as symptomatic carriers? That is a very good question and it is fascinating. Yes, they do actually uh, manage to sniff people that are asymptomatic, but that's what is even more interesting is that they also sniff people that are pre-symptomatic, meaning before you've got the symptoms, the dog is able actually to uh, detect that. And we know that because the people in France and in the UAE were using what we call negative sample to actually tell the dog this is negative. And all the dog at one point were saying, no, this sample is positive, meaning that they were sitting in front of the sample saying, it's positive. So the people, the trainer were like, it's quite strange that we've got 30 dogs that are all saying that this sample is, posit- is, is positive while we assume it was negative. So they call back the hospital and say, are you sure this sample is negative? The hospital call back the people who gave the sample. They re-screen those people and they came back positive. It's just because at this stage, they were still incubating the virus. And so they were not actually excreting. So um, this is what is fascinating with this dog work. It seems that they're actually able to pick up uh, the, the fact that there is a virus infection very early in the infection stage. Oh my goodness, they are superstars, canine superstars. That is incredible. The other thing to add, I guess it's not so surprising because when you consider the other purposes that dogs are are used for, so for example, for people with diabetes, if they're becoming hypoglycemic, or for people to alert them if they're going to have an epileptic fit, I don't think we have a machine that can do the same. And that must be quite subtle changes in scent that dogs are picking up. It is totally amazing. Well, Suzanne and Annalise, thank you so much for taking time out to speak to us about this incredible research, training dogs to sniff out COVID-19. I definitely could stay here asking you questions all day. Uh, I wish you guys all the best for the next stages of the research with your international collaborators as well. And we really look forward to reading more about these canine superheroes. Thank you. Thank you.
Okay, and that is it for another episode of Locked in Science. Thank you to Claire and Stu, and thank you to our guests, Dr. Annalise Chabert and Dr. Susan Hazel. Uh, Locked in Science is normally recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, um, but at the moment it is recorded at the home's of Chris, Stu and Claire and I believe we are on the lands of the Wundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Uh, but we are recorded with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and aired across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We love to hear from you and what you think about Locked In Science that we are putting out every week. You can email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook where we are Lost In Science on 3CR. I feel like I had to correct that. It's crazy. Uh, we also are on Twitter. We are at Lost In Science 1. We are on podcast apps. If you're on an app where you can give us a good rating and review, please do that because that helps us... Um, higher up in the search ranking so that other people can find us. You can also find us on the radio. However you listen to this, you can just listen the same time every week when Claire, Stu and Chris get lost in science. Did you say lost? Stu said lost. said lost. Okay. No, Stu said lost. <laughs> Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.